Hi, everyone. Welcome to Name Drop San Diego, a podcast from the Union Tribune that highlights fascinating people in, around, and from San Diego. I'm Christy Totten, and my guest today is Chef Lam Tai, aka Chef Lando. Chef Lando is the owner of the Enclave Restaurant at Juneshine Ranch in Scripps Ranch, where she cooks farm-to-table Asian fusion. In addition to being a cook, Chef Lan Tai is a farmer, a furniture maker, and a former graphic designer with Adobe. She has a really incredible life story that begins at a Thai refugee camp. Uh, I found it really fascinating, and I think you will too. Here's our interview. Well, Chef, thank you so much for joining me, and congrats on your new restaurant openings. Um, I wanted to begin by asking you just for a little background. So I know that you originally came from Vietnam before coming to the States, and so I'm just wondering, you know, how did that shape you and your story? Well, uh, my parents escaped Vietnam while my dad was on a fisherman boat. He owned a fishing boat, and my mom was pregnant with me, so I was actually born in a Thailand refugee camp. And then I came to San Diego uh, when I was six months old. And how it shaped me as a chef is that I want people to understand that my experience comes from where cooking came out of survival. We came here very poor, but we were able to grow up on a farm here in Lakeside. And we only did that because out of survival, because we were poor. We had to grow our own food. We had to learn how to process chickens. We had to learn how to ferment. We had to learn how to do all the things um, in means of survival. That's incredible. Can you tell me more about the farm? Like what were you growing there at the time? Um, we were growing a lot of Asian produce. So um, that's where actually the name enclave comes from. It comes from ethnic enclaves. I like the idea that I was exposed to a lot of different ethnic enclaves here in San Diego. So because of the unique produce that my parents grew, a lot of different variety of Asian herbs and Asian greens, um, my dad would have to go to like the Laotian market, the Chinese market, the Vietnamese market. And I was exposed to that so young that I was exposed to so many different foods and cultures and spices. And ethnic enclaves really is how we were able to survive coming here to America. We relied on that, those communities. Um, I know that you didn't always work in food. In fact, you used to work at Adobe until you decided to sort of pursue your dreams. But like, why the transition? You know, what sparked that change? Um, really, my mom especially is a huge supporter of education. That was the only reason that she took the courage to leave Vietnam, uh, to escape that country, just because every other foreigner will tell you how much they hear about America, how the streets are really painted gold, and how that you're forced to go to school. You know, my dad dropped out when he was in sixth grade. My mom was able to at least go to 12th grade. But after that, there's not much that you do. And here we found that there was this path that you had to, you know, you were forced to go to school. And then there was an actual path to make money. So you would just go to school, get good grades, get to college, get good grades, and then get accepted to a really good company and then get paid really, really well. There was an actual path that people don't really understand here in America that other countries don't provide. And because of that, um, I didn't, wasn't, my parents weren't going to let me be like, do whatever you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't that kind of parent. They're like, you got to do what you can to survive and provide for the family. Um, as children, we're taught to always 
um, grow up, make money, and then support our parents, always supporting our parents, always giving them mon money mon monthly, and um, uh, just always supporting them. So with that in mind, you know, it always like, like here's this path, I got to go to school, I got to go to college, and I got accepted to a great uh, company making a lot of money. Um, and then that's when some years go by here in America, my parents realize, hey, you know, maybe this isn't for her. We're going to have to let her follow her dreams and let her do what she wants. She's the youngest. She's the black sheep. You got to let this spirit go. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what that was my question is like, how did they take it when you first sprung this idea on them that you wanted to, you know, leave your, your well-paying job and try something new? Well, because that I've already proven to them so much on my success at school, like getting really good grades, getting accepted to college, getting accepted to, you know, uh, working at Adobe for seven years, making great money. And I was able to still give them money and provide them, you know, so they weren't really going to question my path after that. And, um, you know, at a certain point, they knew that I was the black sheep. And I think that they felt like all the other sisters and my brother was already doing well. They're like, okay, one out of six isn't doing so hot. It's going to be okay. But, <laughs> that we have, like I have such a great supportive system. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, what do your siblings do? Um, they're all engineers, doctors. <laughs> nice. So they yeah. took that off your plate. Yes. Um, <laughs> Well, you bring such a distinct sensibility to your food. Like I know, you know, the, the concept behind Enclave is really food as medicine. And you have such like, you have this deep, rich history with food, but I mean, like, how do you think about your food philosophy? Well, what I, when I really hung on to the food as medicine concept was when I found out it was an acronym for FAM, F-A-M. And I think that is just such a strong word for me, centric to everything, everything in life to wellness it really starts with the core with the family and it can be either the family that you were born into or the family that you create and it's such a strong part of what enclave really stands for um i am here to really take care of my team um you know the restaurant industry as i got into it i realized that it's quite a toxic culture i mean if you eat, read any of anthony bourdain's books um it's pretty much true and because of that um, I really wanted to change the way restaurants run. I really want to change it in the way that Trader Joe's has done to grocery chains, the way Costco has done to grocery chains, like actually put in the energy of the team. So that was one of the first things that I thought about that I can't take care of our customers, the health of our customers, if I don't take care of the team first. So I think about the longevity, the health of our customers all rely on the health and longevity of, of my team as well. So I love that FAM concept. Yeah, you know, that's so interesting about um, hospitality culture. I do have friends that work in kitchens and they've told me really upsetting stories, you know, about being punched in the kitchen or intimidated or, or cussed at, you know, constantly. I mean, why do you think that is allowed to exist? You know, whereas like in a lot of different industries, we've had these awakenings where it's like that kind of mistreatment is not okay anymore. And, and do you see it getting better? Um, I think it existed honestly, because one, the kitchen is a special place. You know, we're kind of a bunch of misfits, weirdos, you know, people who don't have awkwardness, introverts, uh, don't know how to socialize, and you're just kind of forced to be a family together. 
And because of the toxic culture and the why I think that a lot of people um, just like said it was okay was because I think that there maybe possibly their family background wasn't, was worse. Mm -hmm. And the kitchen was actually the place of um, kind of just peace in certain ways. And then there's discipline too. But I think that from the pandemic, it's actually <laughs> definitely from the pandemic, we've seen that they're not taking it anymore. Um, they want to be paid better. Um, if you look at kitchen wages, they do not increase at all. In like 20 years, the wages are still the same. Um, so that has changed quite a bit, but um, it's, ha it's hurt our industry quite a lot just because it has gone up three, four dollars an hour within six months. So we don't know how to navigate this. Um, it's very challenging to figure out how to sustain. And but I really believe that the fam enriched kitchen model that Enclave is pursuing is something that we are going to take a big risk on. We're gonna we're gonna put all our all our eggs into treating our family good. <laughs> yeah. I mean can you talk more about that, just what you're doing to change the culture? So one of the things we, so one of the fun things that is especially important to me, just like my mom was for education, was really about education for about where our food comes from. So about every four to six weeks, um, we create these fam field trips. And I take the team to our farmers, our ranchers, and connect them to the source of their food. They can actually say, hey, these are the cucumbers we've been using. Here they are grown on the vine. And then we get to pick them and get to try them from there. And especially we get to meet the farmer and all the people around it that's growing it. And we get to connect with them. And because of that, I feel like there is so much more of a community and, and I think at the end of the day, that, was, that is what provides the most nourishing meal because mm -hmm. we have connected to the soil, the farmer, the produce, the community, and then going to the customer, to them. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, your experience um, is kind of unique in the region. Not that there's no farming going on here, but, you know, like just the way that our society is and living in cities, it's not something that people have a lot of experience with typically, but, you know, what do you think, what do you think it adds, uh, you know, for a chef or for people in hospitality to have that experience? The connecting to the food. I mean, everything, <laughs> because um, I do plan on taking them to some conventional farming places too, as well. So they can understand how food is grown. That's one of the biggest, um, parts of Enclave is to be able to educate not just my team, but customers and the community in general to understand that all that we have been doing with conventional agriculture, we're raping the soils, we're taking out all the nutrients, we're adding, um, we're depleting it. There, you know, there is studies that are showing that we only have like 60 more harvests if we continue um, that road. So, but there is this strong community that really understands that. So when we meet the farmers, when we meet them, it's funny to, it's not funny, it's very fascinating to hear the common words that they say and the things that they will stand, uh, stand for. And most of them will always say that, you know, we're not a chicken farmer, we're not a lettuce farmer, we're soil farmers. Mm -hmm. um, we're environmentalists, we're naturists. We all believe in nature. We have a connection with nature. And I think that really is what it boils down to is getting people to connect with nature. It really comes to that. 
yeah. Do you have any advice on just individual people doing better? Because I know I feel this struggle, like ideally, sure. I would always buy all my produce from the farmer's market and I would have a relationship with the people, but you know, one, sometimes it's money Two, Sometimes it's just the availability of the market. You know, it's like, you have to go at a certain time on a certain day. Maybe that's not a possibility. I mean, I, I know there are CSAs and things, but like, what are some things that the everyday person can do to be more connected to their food? Um, a lot of the farmers do have um, tours um, and, you know, we are so lucky to have Google. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you can learn how to grow your own food, your own vegetables, at least in some pots, you know, just to get started at least. Um, but just to understand um, there's so much out there. I mean, like you said, like going to a farmer's market is definitely the best thing. Um and we are lucky here in San Diego that we do have a lot. I mean, you can go to a farmer's market, I think every day of the week here. Um, but I mean, there, I mean, that question is a little tricky only because it, there's no lazy answer. <laughs> you know, right, yeah. right, right. Sorry, there's, we still haven't figured out a pill where you're gonna be skinny and healthy and live forever. <laughs> <laughs> and like, so we can't like keep thinking like that's a solution. We just mm -hmm. have to change our perception and like, we actually have to work. Like as humans, we have to understand that we actually have to put in work, that we are like uh, like nature. We like to survive. We like to have challenges, um, you know, because of that, um, you know, the fruit is actually, is much more fruitful that way. Okay, I have a lightning round for you. Just some random <laughs> questions to get to know you better. And the first one is, what is your first food memory? Um, cooking top ramen when I was about three to four years old. And it was a top ramen that's in the bag. It's called Kung Fu. They still have it. And I would crawl the cabinets all the time as, as a like baby. I would think I was still in diapers. I'm not even joking. And I would take the pot out, put it on the pan, and then just be boiling water and throwing in the ramen and just, just climbing cabinets. And <laughs> that is amazing. Three or four years old. Yeah. Is there a food you dislike? The food I dislike, um, I haven't come across anything. I eat everything. I think, um, you know, there was a time I traveled a lot and there was a time where I was like, I'm not going to eat Marmite or Vegemite because it was really hard to eat. But then I realized that they slapped it with a lot of butter on toast too. So when I realized that you ate Vegemite with a lot of butter, I'm like, oh, this makes so much more sense. So I just think that a lot of the foods that I intend not to like is just something that I'm just not used to. So I actually force myself to eat Vegemite like every day until I liked it. <laughs> wow. I think that says something about your personality. I've never had it. What does it taste like? It's very salty, like, huh. like to a, to a point where it's like extreme, extreme. Uh -huh. yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Um, okay. What is something you're really into lately that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with food? Um, uh, furniture building. <laughs> you build furniture? I, I am a, uh, I love, I think that's what I would do when I retire is to build furniture. Wow. Um, I love, um, I actually went to school for architecture in the beginning and then, and that transferred to, uh, graphic design when that's when I went to Adobe. But I just love, uh, right now, especially since we're opening the two new locations, I'm like thinking about what kind of little things I could build for fun and stuff like that. So I've been Pinteresting a lot and, <laughs> and seeing what I can do and then going to vintage shops and seeing what I can remodel and things like that too. That is so amazing. Do you sell this stuff or do you just do it for yourself? I just 
just do it for myself, but as I retire. So I can do, I can sew, I can build furniture. I'm very 3D. I can cook. I'm, mm-hmm. I mean, this is like coming from a Vietnamese culture. We are survivalists. We, we know how to do everything. <laughs> wow. I am so impressed. Like what is, what is some furniture that you've made recently? Um, well, I made this bar stool out of a bunch of, um, I can show you a picture, but it's, it's kind of funky. <laughs> it's just a bunch of like two by f- uh, fours or maybe two by threes that were reclaimed. And I just kind of put them together to create this funky bar. So it's kind of hard to explain. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I'm going to take you up on the offer to see the picture. I would love to see it. Um, okay. Do you have a phobia? A phobia, um, which is, this is really funny because I surf, but I have an ocean phobia. Um, <laughs> And I surf only because um, to try to get over my phobia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I, I didn't learn how to swim till I was 22. And because of that, it's not innate for me. So going, so I, and I just loved the ocean water though too much. Like it just mm-hmm. made me feel so good. And I said that I have to overcome this. And then I forced myself to learn how to swim. Um, and I just like kept going to the pool every day, every day. And I just figured it out. And, um, and for those who don't know how to swim, the biggest thing that like, I like that people don't tell you is that you blow bubbles. <laughs> and what that means is that you can exhale underwater. <laughs> and that was like a revelation for me. And once I found out that you can exhale underwater. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, it seems yeah. to me a theme in your life. I mean, you said this about eating Vegemite until you liked it, going surfing until you overcame your fear of the ocean. It's like, that seems to be a theme. That seems, that's Well, that's like a very uncommon trait. I feel like, you know, like people experience things they don't like and they're like, okay, well, that's not for me. I'm never doing it again. So like, where does that impulse come from for you? I think it stems from the fact that my mom was pregnant with me and she escaped on a boat, like not knowing you know, the next hour was going to be, she had a very dark, uh, future and I was in her tummy. So <laughs> this, uh, thriving, this, um, uh, just kind of fearless, uh, gumption in ways, like the way I've led my life. I think gumption is the best word, just like dealing with instincts as it goes, how it was just started before I was even born. Wow. Well, that's so badass. <laughs> um, okay. What is your favorite book or movie and, and why? Okay, favorite book is most books by Haruki Murakami. Have you heard of him? Yeah, I have. I actually haven't read any of his books. I've read some like essays before. Yeah, so um, I even like went to go see him because I was so obsessed. But the first book, The Wind Up Bird Chronicles, the one I read and that just blew my mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just feel like every quote was super, super um, just insightful. And and it's, it's it's a little modern too, so it's pretty cool. Um, and then my favorite movie, it was funny, I was just talking about this, was Amadeus. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 Um, I, re- I really like Amadeus because it's the only movie that really shows the jealousy of the guy, like Salier. He's just like sitting there going like, why can't I have this talent? He does everything, mm-hmm. to, you know, and he prays to God and he puts in all the work. But then I think that there is that like you know, very, very tiny, tiny percent. That's just genius. They're just born in them. 
Very cool. I have to tell you, um, my interview last week was with Brian Hu of the Asian Film Festival, which starts next week or this week, you know, when, when this podcast airs. But I think their closing film is based on a Murakami story. So really? yeah, you might like to check oh, it out. I gotta go. Yeah, gotta go. I'll go ahead and email you the, the link. I, I don't remember what it's about. I just remember yeah. him saying that. So, okay. What is uh, something on your bucket list or just a life, a life goal that you have? Um, I honestly, it's more nature. I want to see the Northern Lights. I've traveled a lot. And then there's the one thing that I have, I feel like I haven't seen yet is the Northern Lights. Any plans anytime soon? No, <laughs> not this, not, <laughs> yeah, not with all your stuff going <laughs> not on. Not opening the, these two restaurants coming up, but maybe next year. Yeah. Maybe as a celebration. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what is your San Diego greatest hits tour? Like if you had to spend your perfect San Diego day or show somebody around who was visiting, what are the best spots? Um, I like to take people to, I think they've renamed it to the Saigon Trail in La Jolla. I think it's just a fun little area, you know, to go to the beach and then walk up to the stairs on the glider port. It's a very beautiful part of San Diego. Um, sometimes I say, let's go to Mexico, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> My friends arrive in San Diego and I, let's go to Mexico. <laughs> Love it. um and some of my favorite restaurants though is definitely like cali from travis swicard he just like opened up and then lola 55 for sure i think lola 55 is the quintessential like san diego food i think it's a little bit elevated still very affordable Mm -hmm. like gourmet tacos and uh, shout out to chef drew bent over there he's my buddy (laughs) awesome I agree. Super exceptional. Um, okay. Well, that honestly concludes a lightning round, but I have another sort of random question, which is that I read online that you've rolled more than a million spring rolls. <laughs> like, how do you even know that? And also how did you do that? <laughs> when you start doing it when you're four years old and then, so what I start how I, and, and that's like, that's, that's a minimum, like that's like not that much. Um, I started counting when I started catering, I I had a catering business in Hawaii and I would just count like how many, you know, I was started counting, like how many customers that we had to feed and how many spring rolls, egg rolls that we had to do. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. It has to be like a world record. You should get like a Guinness (laughs) medal or something. I I think my mom had it for sure. Really? Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) One of my siblings, maybe. No, not none of them. But no, there's people just doing it every day. <laughs> so cool. Okay. Um, well, I know that you also do meal delivery. And I, I saw that one of the things is like, you know, food for postpartum. And so I was wondering, like, do you personally tailor your diet? I mean, we can talk about the meal delivery too. That's really interesting. But like, do you tailor your own diet and what you're eating based on more than just like cravings, you know? My diet more than, what is? what do you mean? Yeah. Okay. So like, how do you decide, how do you decide what to eat? Is it just like, oh, I feel like eating this or is it, again, you know, the food is medicine concept, like, oh, I think my body needs this. Yeah. Um, I think that one of the things that I always try to get people to understand is the difference between, to really try to understand the difference between a craving and a need. Mm. Um, so it's like, so really it's like when you eat some things like, oh, I really crave a donut. And then when you eat a donut and you feel afterwards, you're like, oh, I have upset stomach. So that was a craving, obviously. So, and then it's like, why did I want that kind of sugar? So we have to actually kind of like, it's funny how people will just go through life without ever actually auditing what they eat and where it comes from, or just, you know, just accepting it. And I don't think that that's something that we should be normalizing, especially with how, 
conventional big agriculture and conventional big big food has um, done. I mean, they if if you look at America right now, we're getting sicker. It's not the 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 graph is going up. You know, we're at sixty percent chronic. Like sixty percent of Americans have a chronic illness. And it's something like 35% have two or more. That honest, this we should not be normalizing diabetes. We should not be normalizing cancer. We should not be normalizing all these um, autoimmune diseases. And I'm going to say to a level of normalizing depression and things like that, because we have to look at where what you're eating. Um, there's a lot of now doctors that have come out. There's this doctor, she's this amazing woman that uh, has a book called Your Brain on Food. And she's a psychologist, a doctor, and went to CIA culinary school. So she's saying that, you know, it stems a lot from what kids are eating. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not a coincidence that a lot of kids that have anxiety are eating a lot of candies, like a lot of processed sugars, a lot of, um, I mean, honestly, in ways it's, it's, it's drugs, mm-hmm. um, not good drugs, addictive drugs. Um, so because of that, I want people to understand the difference between a craving and a need you know, there was another day I was eating, I had some, my friend, I had some lobster sitting in my freezer for a while because my friend came back from Maine. And, um, and I, you know, and I said, you know what, I feel like that. And then, and it's crazy when I ate it, I was like, this is amazing. And I've been depleted a lot because I've been working so much. And it's usually things like the micronutrients that I was like, oh, this is what I need. And I felt good afterwards. Mm -hmm. So nourished and so fulfilled. And it's like, this is exactly what my body needed versus, you know, after eating, you know, a donut or something like, okay, that wasn't what I needed. Let's like, let's think about that. So Mm -hmm. I really want people to examine that and really for themselves, it's something that they have to audit themselves and figure out what's that feeling like, feeling of nourishment and feeling of, you know, I'm feeling just sicker, more tired and fatigued. Yeah. What are, what are your take on food trends? You know, I, I feel like we see them come and go so often. Uh, well, like, what do you think? Yeah. How we go from soy milk to almond milk. To yes. Oat milk. Like it's funny to me because I just sit back and just watch this like trend and then like no one's juicing anymore. No one's uh-huh. working. <laughs> right. And they always find something bad. And then now all these, um, um, lab based meats and all that stuff. I'm like, did we not learn from margarine? You know, <laughs> like it's really like the new margarine to me. Cause I look at it and there's still no nutrients. When is it one day somebody is just going to say that like, we are, we don't have, we don't need any more nutrients. It's been proven. We eat three times more the calories and something like a third less the nutrients. Um, where I, I, it's kind of like my saying where I say that we have a first world problem and it's malnutrition, sadly, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we're eating a lot of foods that actually are depleting us and the environment. Um, so the food trends is, you know, there's a big vegan trend, which is great because people are eating. I'm hoping that the vegan is just meaning it's like they're eating more plants, <laughs> you know, because really we need to eat more vegetables for sure. Um, but then also there is caution to it too, because you need to make sure that you're getting your B12. And, you know, I've seen it because I work with, uh, so many different customers and clients, um, who have been on these vegan diets and, you know, eventually anema comes around or, um, just not having energy. And it's like, you know, doctors go like, you know, maybe you should eat some salmon because you need some omega threes and sixes and things like that, or some eggs. You know, I don't know why we came so extreme. Like there's nothing wrong with vegetarianism. There's not, I've had chickens my whole life and I've never had a hen die. 
you know, mm. from laying eggs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't understand the, I really, I try to understand that movement, but it's just, I really believe it is, um, it is being cultivated by a lot of the big food because of like Impossible Burger and Beyond Burger and all that. They are corporate large giant companies that are trying to push this. But then when you look at the nutrients, it's really, really sad. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's Michael Pollan who said like America is overfed and undernourished, right? It seems like exactly along the lines of what you're saying. And it also seems like to me, a lot of these trends, I mean, they're, they're typically diet trends, right? It's all about like less to make your body smaller. You know, it's never necessary. I'm not like convinced that it's, it's ever, it's about boosting your health actually enough of the time. Yeah. And one of the, uh, one of the things, is, it's funny because if you look on the Impossible Burger website, everything is about protecting the planet. You eat this burger, you're saving the world. And it's like, and, but then they, they question if it's healthy for you. And I find that kind of funny because it's like, I'm sorry, but bottom line, the foundation is we are nature. We can't, we can't have a healthy environment and planet if we aren't happy, healthy. It just doesn't, it, it can't exist. We have to be healthy as well as the planet to be healthy. There's no like separation between that. And uh, so that's just some things that I try to get people to understand. I mean, the, basically that's what Enclave is all about is that we're trying to spread this fan movement to get people to understand that we are very part of nature. We are not, this is not a separation. We are nature. Okay, my final question for you is I just wanted to give you some space to talk more about Enclave. You know, what should people know? So we are currently open seven days a week, uh, 11 to 7, 8, something like that, at uh, over at Juneshine Ranch, over at Trips Ranch. And then we are opening two more locations, uh, which is really exciting. Um, in UTC area, across from the UTC mall, we actually have our own full restaurant with wine and beer seating. It's, pre- it's very large, it's seating about 90 inside and 30 outside. And then we also um, are opening a small cafe down the road uh, in Torrey Hills, um, three miles north of UTC. So that's all happening for 2022. <laughs> that's scary to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, really, I want people to just, like I said before, like to audit what they eat and to understand um, my biggest thing is that to understand the source of their food. I pretty much termed the uh, coined the term sourcism. Um, if there's any kind of diet that I recommend, it's sourcism. And that's really about knowing where your food comes from. Thank you again to Chef Lantai, and thank you for listening to Name Drop San Diego. If you have an idea of who you'd like to hear from, please drop me a line. You can reach me at namedropsd at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.